0: on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life.
1: This is a Reconstructionist radio production. The following audio blogs can be found in written form at foundationsofreconstruction.com. Psalm 2 The Messianic Reign of Christ, written by Jonathan Clark. The scriptures declare that Christ is reigning now as King of Kings. In Psalm 2, we have a graphic display of Christ's messianic rule over all the areas of human life, thought, and action. The psalmist begins with a question. Why do nations and peoples rage and plot vain things? These nations can be described as foreign, Gentile, heathen, pagan, and even as a troop of animals. They rage like the snorting of spirited horses. These peoples murmur, growl, Ponder, imagine, and meditate, but all in vain. Their beastly roaring is empty, worthless, and fruitless. Next follows a statement in which we learn why they rage. The kings and rulers, the honorable and royal magistrates, are placing themselves so as to stay. From this position they convene and assemble together in stubborn opposition to the Lord, the self existent and eternal one, the supreme authority, controller, and master, and against his anointed, who is a consecrated king priest, or saint, and specifically is the Christ and Messiah. The psalmist goes on to tell what these rebels say. Let us burst and cast away the bonds and cords of the Lord. They want to root out and hurl away God's chastisement and restraint. These cords can also refer to a halter. Again, the psalmist compares these rebels to animals. The nation's beastly description arises from their senseless behavior by setting themselves against Jehovah, the eternal master and sovereign of the universe. The irony is that though bearing the title of king brings a degree of honor, these kings are compared to brutes. While these rulers of the earth try to make themselves immovable, another sits far above in heaven. There he dwells, remains, and endures, unlike the false stability of these heathen. His sitting is like that of a judge in ambush. From this ambush, the Lord is actually laughing in contempt. Who would think the sovereign ruler, controller, and owner of the world would be threatened by this rabble? Thus he holds them in derision, mockery, and scorn. The word even means to imitate anyone's voice in stammering by way of derision, to speak like a foreigner, unintelligibly. The ridicule does not last forever. Soon enough the Lord will speak to the pagan nations in wrath, ire, anger, and great passion. This will make them tremble inwardly, be alarmed, dismayed, troubled, and filled with trepidation. Jehovah's speech is in burning, fierce anger and sore displeasure. This is what he says. As for me, I have anointed a king, my king. This word for king is the same from verse 1, but this time it is preceded by a possessive. This anointing takes place on Zion, a sunny mountain, and the holy hill of the Lord. The consecrated Messiah stands on the sacred and hallowed hill. This hill can also mean promotion, not that Christ was in need of anything, for he is God. But having humbled himself a little lower than the angels, he has now received a name above every other, and at the sound of it every knee will bow. Hebrews 2. Philippians 2. The psalmist now declares a decree or law and appointment. Jehovah speaks to the king, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The term son can mean builder of the family name. Such is the work of Christ. He, being given an exalted name, builds the name of God, For God has one name. Matthew 28 Christ was begotten of the Lord. This word for birth and conception brings life to mind. Thus this beginning is aptly ascribed to the resurrection of the Messiah. The Lord told Christ to ask for nations. Now Christ did ask. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. John 17 verse 5 the angelic host proclaimed, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5 verse 12 The Son was presented to the Ancient of Days and given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7 verse 14 The same term for the nations given to Christ is found in verse 1. These will be his domain and possession. Not only these, but indeed the whole earth to its uttermost and extreme limits will be in the hand of the Messiah. Possession means land or something seized. From whom was the earth seized? After showing Christ all the kingdoms of the world, Satan said, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you, then, will worship me, it will all be yours. Luke 4, verses 6-7 Christ asked for glory of his Father. He was worthy of it. Satan offered the glory of the nations to him on his own terms. Worship me. The devil did have authority. Revelation 13, verse 4 But Christ said that now is the judgment of this world. For, now is the ruler of this world cast out. John 12, verse 31 Also, a voice in heaven proclaimed, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Revelation 12, verse 10 Satan lost, and Christ received all authority in heaven and earth. Matthew 28. The Lord will give the Son the uttermost and extreme limits of the earth as His possession. As Abraham Cooper declared, there is not one square inch that does not belong to Christ furthermore christ says that the messiah will break to pieces these nations with a rod or scepter and that of iron or firmness and hardness consequently these kings are called to rise above the level of unreasoning animals and be circumspect intelligent understanding and prudent they must be chastised instructed corrected reformed reproved admonished and ready to receive chastisement the kings must be teachable they must also serve the Lord. This means to be his slaves and worshippers. They are compared to husbandmen, workers, and tillers. Magistrates must break up the hard ground of evildoers so that the church will have fallow ground to plant the word. Rulers must do this in holy fear, reverence, piety, joy, and trembling. Finally, the kings of the earth are commanded to kiss the sun. The sun is the heir apparent to the throne. The kiss signifies how the vanquished promised fidelity and submission to the conqueror. A WARNING IS ADDED, LEST THE SUN BE ANGRY, AND YOU PERISH IN THE WAY WHEN HIS WRATH IS KINDLED. PERISHING IN THE WAY MEANS TO WANDER AWAY, AND LOSE ONESELF FROM A COURSE OF LIFE OR ROAD. DESTRUCTION IS THE END OF WANDERING LIKE LOST SHEEP, FOR GOD'S WRATH IS LIKE A CONSUMING FIRE. HOWEVER, A GLORIOUS PROMISE REMAINS. BLESSED ARE THEY WHO TAKE REFUGE IN HIM. BLESSEDNESS CONSISTS IN TRUE HAPPINESS, WHEN NATIONS flee TO JEHOVAH FOR PROTECTION, CONFIDE IN HIM, AND PUT THEIR TRUST AND HOPE IN HIM. ALL NATIONS HAVE FAITH. Cursed rebels are those heathen and pagan ones who worship not God, but happy are they who unconditionally surrender to the King of Kings. The Bible and Race, written by Caitlin Smith In today's society and culture, we are inundated at every turn by the evil of an idea that a single man propagated in the 1800s. It was a hypothesis that had been around for several years in the American colonies, and grew during the subsequent epochs in our history, in which wars were fought, territories won, and states annexed into our union. This idea was made popular by a book, and read by countless people who accepted the idea. This was the idea of different races among humans. It was the idea of hierarchies, of castes of people whose value and worth is determined by the color of their skin and their physical features. This simple, sinful idea that has far-reaching consequences as all sin does. The effects of this we are still seeing in this day and age all around us, on television, on the radio, in the newspapers and magazines, on the internet, etc., etc., etc. In the 19th century, a revolutionary book was written entitled, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Simply known as Origin of Species, Charles Darwin's work's fame spread far and wide as people perused its pages, read and ingested the message, and applied it to life. At the time of the publishing of Darwin's work, there was already a system of slavery in the United States. Within 25 years, however, the system was abolished, and America was faced with the task of building up a new nation, all the while incorporating this view of humanity. Darwin's book popularized the idea of white supremacy and provided the basis upon which several different Ku Klux Klan's were founded and operated. It was also the basis for several different laws known as the Jim Crow Laws, that assured separation between those of white skin and those of black skin, enforced punishments of those that dared to defy these unethical laws, and violated basic constitutional rights of all those individuals who happened to have the wrong color of skin. The laws, this book, and the important figures during this time all succeeded in propagating this unethical idea. This was the idea that somehow those who are different from yourself are not humans, but instead some type of animal that has gradually progressed towards humanity. As always, the Scriptures, the very Word of God, should be the supreme authority on our lives, not the words or ideas of men. The origin of our humanity is stated clearly in the Bible, in the first book. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Genesis 1, verses 26-27 We clearly see throughout Scripture that we have all been created in the image of God, as the Imago Dei. We are told that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus galatians 3 verse 28 we see that we have all descended from only two humans adam and eve adam called his wife the mother of all living in genesis 3 verse 20 act 17 verse 26 tells us that god hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth furthermore we never read of different races in the bible instead we read of different kinds the human kind the bird kind the fish kind etc Humans are a kind God created. There is no different subkinds based on skin color, height, weight, or any other distinguishing characteristic. Only humankind made in God's image. We are all created with different genes and characteristics, but we are all of the one race of humans. We all have the same pigmentation in our skin, melanin. Some people have more and some less. There is no right skin color or wrong skin color. The idea of those who have a darker skin color being less human is apostrous. This is the ideology which has caused human beings to be locked in cages, experimented upon, and abused as though they were animals. One race, one blood by Charles Ware and Ken Ham. This idea has allowed white people to feel free to treat others as though they were nothing but scum. This idea has furthered the thinking that white people are smarter than others, as if the color of our skin has anything to do with our brain's capacity. It was this thinking that caused a white gentleman in the mid-19th century to feel that a black woman was different than any other woman, and therefore insist that she give up her seat on the bus for him, even though the acceptably polite action at the time was for a gentleman to give up his seat for a woman. Yes, I feel strongly about this issue of racism. I hate to hear a person, created in the very image of God with an eternal soul, be spoken of in a wrong manner simply because of the color of their skin. To hear a person judged unjustly and to see the prejudice that exists between those of different nationalities and ethnicities saddens me. To hear people mocked and made fun of because of our skin color is a terrible thing. This takes place in churches, this takes place in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in the grocery store. This is something that we must stop. We cannot call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, and have this attitude of hatred to those who look different than we do. John states it this way, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? 1 John 4, verse 20. Paul declares that, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. Romans 12, verse 5. We are to emulate our Savior's example in all things we do. He purposely set out to Samaria. He purposely spoke to the woman at the well. And because of our Lord's graciousness to speak to those who others considered not worth their time, he won their souls to himself that day. John 4. We have grown even more segregated and prejudiced in our nation as time marches onward. There are so many racial prejudices that we are inundated by it every time we hear the news, read a magazine, read a newspaper, search the internet, etc. Anything or anyone that is deemed less than human, we kill. Racism is the root of multiple problems in our land today. It is so much of a problem that we have created new races of people and now distinguished by black, white, law enforcement officer, and those that scientists call a fetus. We find ourselves inconvenienced by that thing growing inside of us, dependent upon our lives as mothers, and that tiny little soul is deemed less worthy than a human for life. All the while, the mother is deemed so much more important than the tiny baby that is utterly dependent upon its mother for the oxygen and nourishment it receives, and so we legally kill the baby, and because the baby isn't seen as a human, it is seen as being in some sort of in-between state, half human, half something else. If the baby inside the mother was seen as fully human, with constitutional rights secured by law, the murdering of a child through an abortion would be considered a crime. The law enforcement officers that have sworn to uphold the law are no longer able to do so. They are met with opposition at every turn because of an idea that people somehow have been given a right to act however they want. This is ultimate anarchy. They cry unfair when they get the punishment they deserve, and it has nothing to do with the color of a person's skin, as we are being told. They are both black and white officers who are being gunned down, beaten up, and disrespected. Both fair-skinned people and dark-skinned people are the perpetrators. It has nothing to do with race, but it has everything to do with racism. The idea that someone in a uniform is somehow less than the person walking down the street, and vice versa. This terrible sin has to be repented of by our nation, starting with us, those of us who claim to be followers of Christ Jesus. Churches have been split over this issue— We must repent of this terrible sin and turn to the Lord, asking Him to help us overcome this way of thinking. We must ask Him to teach us to think His thoughts after Him. We must live a life in which others can see Christ through us. We must live in such a way that the light of His glory can shine through us upon a lost and dying world. The Gospel, a full orb definition, written by Jonathan Character. As Christians in the modern world, we all too often fall into the trap of limited and digested definitions. One of the most common of these digested, abbreviated definitions is of the word gospel. Most people will realize that the word gospel literally means good news, but is that all it means? A historical study will reveal that it is not. The word gospel was originally a technical term used in the Roman Empire, which meant the good news that the king, or emperor, has come to the throne and assumed power. When you proclaimed the gospel, you were proclaiming, literally, that the anarchy was over, the time of trouble was over, order was about to be reinstated, the king was enthroned. Now, is this the gospel of Christ? Is it a proclamation of an ascended and reigning Messiah? All too many Christians today, by their dispensational antinomianism, deny the true meaning of the gospel. Christ's messianic reign is relegated to some future day, and his law, which must hold sway over the nations, is in no way binding upon men today. This is quite serious plague of the church. The scriptures do not present the gospel as limited to pietistic salvationism as it is presented today. Christ proclaimed that his rule, kingdom, was all-encompassing. Furthermore, his gospel was the gospel of the kingdom of God. Mark 1, verse 14. In the Scriptures, the story of the Gospel begins before the beginning of the world and is concerned with the glory of God throughout. It is the story of God's sovereign choice to save wicked sinners. It is the story of us, in Adam, created in perfect fellowship with God, unstained by sin. It was at this point that the fall entered and God did something which wrecked Satan's plans forever. He established a means of redemption for covenant-breaking man, the man Jesus Christ. God did not have to do this. Because of his holiness, he had the right to invoke a curse upon man for his sin and damn him forever. But rather than doing what God could do and perhaps should have done, God instead promises to redeem. God does not only bring the curse, but instead promises first to bring forth his Messiah, the woman's seed, to crush the head of the serpent. This is the beginning of a long story of God's grace flowing through history in beautiful, harmonious detail. Long before Christ ever walked the earth in His earthly ministry, God gave us everything we needed to know Christ as Savior and as Lord. The story is that God is coming to save, Isaiah 9, verses 6-7. We are also told when He is coming, Daniel 9. We are told about His life and earthly ministry, Isaiah 53. But this is not all. We are also told that this Messiah was coming to bring salvation, forgiveness, and His kingdom rule in history. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7, verses 13-14 through The Messiah was coming to bring a kingdom such that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Isaiah 11, for he must reign until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet, Psalm 110, verse 1. This is where we are now. We are a part of his process of him bringing all men and nations to himself. The gospel is the good news of forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life only in Christ and his atonement. We are wretches, miserable, worthless sinners, whose hatred of God would lead us to spit at the very clouds if we could. This is our condition before God, and He loved us, those which fit the description above perfectly, so much that He took upon Himself flesh, lived the sinless life required of us, died the death that we should have died, was buried, rose again, and ascended to power, and He now calls all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17. To turn from darkness to life, from bondage to Satan to servanthood in his glorious kingdom. The call of the gospel is to turn from sin and self righteousness, to trust in the Messiah. But this gospel is not limited to personal, private salvation only. Instead, it is the gospel of the kingdom. It is the good news of God conquering sinners who were ethical rebels against him, and using these frail individuals as the instruments of bringing his rule to expression, even to the ends of the earth. The gospel is about reversing what happened in the garden. It is about restoring mankind to fellowship with God. It is about eradicating the curse as far as it is found. And it is then and only then that Christ will bodily return in victory after all his enemies have been made a footstool for him. Psalm 110 verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15 It is about God taking what man did to the world and reversing it to his glory. It is not about making all new things, but instead about making all things new. This is the good news, the gospel, of the Messiah, and you can know him only by turning from sin, trusting in his atonement alone, by coming to this Messiah for redemption and the gift of eternal life. This is the good news. It is good news for the unworthy. It is good news for sinners. It is the good news of his kingdom. The call of the gospel is simple. Come and trust in Christ. Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 5, verse 24.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger, and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and his kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth.